Hey guys, it's Jeremy here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 69. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Cool Stuff Inc. and Gathering Magic, who are generously sponsoring this podcast. With free shipping of on orders over $100, as well as an insane trade-in value at Grand Prix or online if you sell to them through their buy list option, Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my co-host, Travis Allen who apparently doesn't want to say anything. You and, don't say anything when you introduce us, usually. And, of course, Edwin, who will now say something after being introduced. Hi. See, look at that. Practice makes perfect. Um, unfortunately, Jim cannot be here this week. He is on the worst coast, a.k.a. West Coast, and I believe he is sheltering from Hurricane Irma that is supposed to hit uh, Florida later this week. Though, in reality, I think he's just having fun. Uh, there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, we got a lot of viewer questions. There was a lot of good feedback on the After Hours podcast. If you guys want us to continue that, shoot us a message. We got a lot of good feedback. And if you missed out on the MTG Finance Behind Art, that's what we covered last week. Uh, this week, though, it's a couple new things that have surfaced. Ixalan started getting spoiled. Is there anything that you guys have seen that... Uh, you know, you like it all with all these dinosaurs or anything like that and pirates, or is this just a uh, subpar booty that you'd rather leave behind? Dinosaurs. Travis? Uh, I will say that the the planeswalkers we've seen so far have been pretty uh, uninspiring. Watley, Watali, whatever her name is, uh, especially is not doing it for me. Um, I don't think there's a, any real power level there. The new Relic of Progenesis looks decent, uh, but from a financial perspective, nothing jumps off the page at me here. Theme, that seems relatively underpowered. I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, there's, there's like, some sweet things. Like, I think the Avatars, uh, like, the Titans do see some play, like, in EDH, especially, like, Grave Titan, like, kind of the big, like, you're looking for that kind of big, splashy effect. Nothing like really stands out as being like really phenomenal though. So that's like kind of like what I'm looking for. Like, you know, like dinosaurs, like big splashy EDH type effects. I just haven't really seen anything yet that kind of screams like this is something worth pre ordering. So we'll hold out, see like hopefully the next week, like something, like a few more mythics get spoiled. Or maybe like some like kind of like rare that just sneaks under there like that's you those are kind of like usually the two things either like big splashy edh mythics or kind of like some rare that's like secretly insane like rich car kind of fell in that category walking ballista kind of fell in that category like those are kind of the things that you like basically want to be looking at when you're kind of in like pre-order like pre-order mode before like any set comes out boros reckoner is the one that always stands out to me that was a really like, good one yeah, like that was like 20 cents and then $20. I think the the one that, I don't remember the name of it, but you tap to scry and then after you have enough, like if you do it like three times, it flips over in the treasure map. Like the first one of those, the flip, first first flip card they revealed, that one I think looks really good. I can see that it should be seen playing control shells and um, like ramp decks because you can play that in like a dinosaur deck as sort of like, it's not a, it's not a rampant growth, but it turns the corner from like five to eight mana on like turn five or six or something like that. Like, so you get this huge jump of mana like late, which is what you want to cast your dinosaurs. Um, it also helps you scry through. If you're in a ramp deck, it helps you like either look for lands or your, um, your activity, which is always a problem with ramp decks is like, sometimes you draw the ramp half, sometimes you draw the payoff and it also looks decent in control who gets to scry and look for the right answers over the first, you know, six, seven turns. And then it turns into an ancestral recall. Um, kind of spread out a little bit, but you do draw three cards off of it later on. So I think that one has some real potential, but we'll have to see how the decks get built. Yeah, nothing in this set's impressed me so far. I rely heavily on uh, commander and casual appeal to sell cards, and um, nothing has stuck out to me yet. Though I do agree that Travis's uh, the sort of mini Hedron archive that adds mana and scries might be something worth considering if you're looking at mapping out your profits for the future set. Um, as far as this last week, was there anything that you guys have been up to as far as anything that jumped out to you as far as price spikes or uh, any tournaments with any weird demand that you guys have seen lately? Well, um, 
Scourge of the Thrones and Sigil Tracer have both been selling really well. I'm pretty sure Bloodline Keeper is too, but I ran out of them. A lot of those tribal type cards that we've talked about um, in the past have really have really sold through. I sold the $20 Urza's Incubator the other day, uh, Japanese too, which means that people are like, damn it, I'm just going to play the stupid card. I don't care what it does. So um, definitely some demand building on that stuff. I think the ship has sailed on most of the big spikes, the real easy money. Um, I noticed that what was it like Supreme Inquisitor, which is like tap a bunch of wizards and like, um, exile, like three cards from your opponent's library. Like that's hot trash. It's like, that's just clearly people trying to ride the wave. Uh, so most of that stuff you've missed a boat on at this point, but there will still be, um, some more sustained growth on a lot of these types of, of staples, even if they didn't have the huge spikes, keep in mind that a lot of these players you're selling these cards to, they don't see the spoilers and then rush out to buy the cards. They show up, but they might pre-order the decks. A lot of them don't even do that. They see, find out that they were released, you know, weeks or months later. They wander in and they buy them. They play a couple games with them. And then they go, okay, well, what should I add? So it doesn't happen right away for these guys. We're the ones who know what cards we want to add the minute this, the, um, it's revealed. The players you're selling to are not those people. So there will be that sort of sustained continuing demand for months. As we saw with the tracks and Brea, you saw cards in those decks gaining um, velocity months after the fact. Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, I think you, I won't spoil it, but I think you highlighted a lot of good pickups that are easily going to double your money in your article today as far as uh, what tribal things may spike and like just good commander things. Uh, to target where like you're saying most finance people and most established players know these cards are going to go up, but for a lot of the newer players, they don't know it yet that they want these cards and it's all about upselling them on these cards. Ed, what was your week like? Uh, uneventful. I forgot what it was like to be like here during the weekend. Like, I don't think I've been in New York on Saturday or Sunday in like a month and a half. So, um, so I think the thing I kind of want to touch on is, uh, as odd sounds, it might not be the market for a lot of people, but uh, the first Pokemon regionals was actually this past weekend. And uh, some people had commented that Pokemon is actually undergoing kind of the same issues. I shouldn't say issues, but it's kind of going undergoing the same type of growth that we saw back in 2013 with Magic. Um, Expanded is Pokemon's variant of modern and... Uh, there are a lot of cards that are being bought out mainly because these cards at this point are now like uh, 2012, 2014. So like anywhere from like three to five years old and the supply is just way down there. And a lot of cards are starting to be bought out uh, both anticipation because the season has a lot of expanded events and um, a lot of these cards are in super, super short supply due to like the additional kind of rarities that are in Pokemon. Um, a lot of people had mentioned that, and I've also seen like way, way more people like starting to get into Pokemon. Like it's starting to become a growing market, and I think a lot of people are trying to ride that boat. So I've been trying to learn as much about Pokemon as I can, uh, kind of in like the past week or so, just to kind of deal with that because I do have two events where I'm actually vending at Pokemon Regionals coming up in the next like month or so. So I think you guys, I don't remember them, but Jeremy should toss out the numbers for Pokemon Bulk compared to the Magic Bulk because that numbers never cease to amaze me. Great question. So this weekend, I guess I'll talk about my weekend a bit. Uh, we had a um, a cancer legacy tournament for a local who was di who's had cancer for a while and he needs help uh, paying five figures worth of uh, cancer treatments. And uh, we had our fire codes 80 for the tournament center and we had 110 people try to get into it, which was insane. We had to turn away a bunch of people, which I felt bad about. But, you know, the event was public for three months, so you should have signed up on time. I know a lot of locals listen to this cast. You should um, definitely yell at people for not donating to your cancer. Well, they, that, the cool <laughs> thing about feel bad for trying to, to donate. <laughs> well, they actually, like, donated cards and or money, even though they couldn't play in the event, which was nice. Um, but there's a lot of cool things from the legacy community coming together in Missouri to, uh, as far as demand goes, like fluster storms, sold out of fluster storms. I put 22 surgical extractions on the shelf the morning of, and they all sold before the tournament started, uh, stuff like that. Um, and as a result, basically, uh, 
legacy demand for cards is very unique. We sold stuff like Fire Covenant, which is probably worth picking out of bulk. I believe it's from Ice Age. It's like got a dragon thingy on it. Uh, other things like Submerge, which is a pretty easy breaking bulk pick. That's also something to keep an eye out on. If you're looking at like, uh, I think it's Nemesis, I want to say. Um, but we had a massive Pokemon collection walk in. It's actually one of the five rows behind me. It's like 19,000 Pokemon bulk cards. And the guy had magic and Pokemon. And I'm like, I can pay you $3 per K on Pokemon bulk. And he's like, oh, he goes, well, what about Pokemon? I'm like, I can pay you $35 per K on Pokemon bulk. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm just like, well, it's worth a lot more because the cards are harder to find. But then again, this isn't a Pokemon, uh, centric cast we won't talk yours about it that much but if you do find pokemon bulk it is very lucrative uh to flip i actually sent a message to our sponsors on cool stuff asking how much they paid and they pay 40 per k on pokemon bulk so it's just something to keep an eye out on i've gotten as much as 65 to 70 per k on pokemon bulk in the past um the reason why i offer 35 is because it's enough for them to get rid of their bulk but i also don't move pokemon bulk unless it's at a grand prix so i sit on it for a couple months so it's like an investment that's guaranteed to go up just like bulkers uh so it's something to keep an eye on um but other than pokemon bulk uh we raised a lot of money for this guy's cancer and uh we sold a lot of casual stuff um as far as the new commander decks go, we sold a bunch of things like Coalition Relics, um, Haven of the Spirit Dragon, uh, Extra Dragon Speaker Shamans, Travis Clicking His Mouse, um, other things such as um, uh, Dragonlord Dramoka at $17, which is obscene, Dragonlord Ojitai, and uh, Shared Animosity enters this incubator, as Travis had mentioned. So there's definitely a lot of tribal demand out there, especially for one of the shops I work with, where it's just completely based on casual demand. So it really is something to keep an eye on. Um, but that's basically how my weekend went. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to add about Pokemon before we move on? I know Ed loves it, but I don't think people listen to this cast for uh, Pokemon unless they're trying to see Ed's face and get a Pikachu. So other than that, I wouldn't worry too much. Um, I'm going to pull up a viewer question if you guys want to add anything before we move on. I'm fine. Moving on. Click my mouse some more. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it. I also have a mechanical keyboard, so you might hear that too because I'm doing stuff. Okay, so Sig Sigmund Osfresser, whose name I will never, ever be able to pronounce correctly, uh, asked us a question on Twitter and it got a lot of traction from people like Stephen Menendian uh, and some other old school guys. And he says, do you ever feel like your magic expo money exposure is too large and vulnerable uh, to the possible fallout of the game? Will magic be around for another 25 years? And I'm assuming he's asking in paper. Who wants to take this yeah. first? It was already dead. <laughs> uh, Ed, you should start. You've got a lot more tied up in it than I do. Ah, oh, it! Why do I always start on the long questions? He doesn't really, he doesn't really have that much tied up anymore, which is like a good way to explain how you feel about this, Ed. Ed's livelihood is currently more contingent on magic than mine. Uh, so uh, this was a two-part question. I remember kind of seeing on Twitter. Uh, what was the first part again? Because I'll kind of touch on that before, like because uh, they're they both kind of think have you have own. too much money tied up in magic. Will magic be around in twenty-five years? So the too much money tied up in magic. Uh, so from a personal perspective, I don't really own that much stuff. Anyone who like follows me, like I just posted the shit ton of stuff onto uh, like Facebook lately. It's stuff that that's been accumulating. I generally don't really stockpile stuff. I don't have decks anymore. I just don't have time to play. So my personal stuff is pretty much at a minimum. As for the store itself, uh, I'm like inside the store. We're pretty diversified. Um, uh, for the numbers themselves, I believe Magic is the second largest item in the store, but it only makes up roughly 20% of our overall sales just because we uh, we deal in like so many different things like comics, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, uh, board games, video games, etc. Um, I, think, I think that's important. I think we're rapidly approaching a point in just kind of like it just as a generational thing is part of it. Like people just don't approach card stores the same way that they do when I was growing up. It used to be a thing where after school on Friday, I would just go to a card store 
at like you know two or three and hang out for pretty much the rest of the afternoon until F and M, and then go home after F and M. Nowadays, it just seems to be more of the trend that as people who kind of experienced the same thing as I did growing up, a lot of people seem to want to. F and M starts at six thirty. I'm gonna run in at six twenty eight, sit down for F and M, and then leave as soon as I'm done. Type thing. Um, that's kind of why I seem to be nosing across the board. I think that's a lot of why like F and M. FNM numbers have been suffering a lot of game stores have been closing up mainly because of smaller mom pop type shops. It's hard for them to keep up mainly because it's becoming harder and harder for people to come actually into the store and, uh, and kind of have the same foot traffic that they did a long time ago, mainly because, you know, people nowadays, like it's so much, it's so much easier to get instant gratification. You know, it's like playing games on your phone, um, playing games on your phone, just playing online video games, computer games, etc. Uh, so I think like the longevity of magic is, I, I guess it's kind of segments like, will it last for another 25 years? I want to say it will, it may not exist in the same form. We might kind of see like kind of the online or digital aspect take a larger share as opposed to like, it's a relatively like minuscule amount compared to what paper magic is now. I do think there'll be a point in the future where, for example, like the pro tour is literally just played on magic online, for example, um i like those are types of steps that i do see happening in the future and i think paper magic itself like might slowly take like a back burner kind of as just things naturally change so 25 years i think that's long shot like 50 years i think that's starting to become a little ambitious i like eventually it's just gonna be one of those things where it's just kind of an outdated relic and i think that's kind of where paper magic is going kind of similar to how like the hobby store model, I think, is kind of an outdated model at this point. Travis, do you want to hit this? Once you're unmuted, of course. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got more than most people probably tied up in the game, but it doesn't really concern me. Um, I know that Magic is very stable, at least in the short to midterm. Um, I think ultimately putting myself in a position where I don't have that much hanging out if something catastrophic were to happen is a wise idea. Um, I'm prepared to own my EDH docs and all the stuff from my EDH binders and they're mine and they will be mine. And if someday my grandkids flip through and look at the binder and are like, oh my God, look at all these cards. You know, this one used to be worth $150. Now nobody plays Paper Magic anymore and it's worthless. Like maybe that'll happen, uh, but I'm okay with that. Um, I will keep all those cards so long as um, I have people to play with. As for all of my other stuff, you know, at this point, I've mostly got enough volume. I'm churning through enough of it at this point that, like, if I just stopped acquiring cards, it would probably take me like two to six months to liquidate basically everything that I don't kind of want to keep. So I'm not too worried about it. You'd have—I don't know what would happen that would kill Magic too fast for you to sell all of your stuff. And it's such a huge game and so old with so much pedigree that even if wizards announced tomorrow that they were never printing another magic card, people would still be playing for years and years to come. Um, I mean that, what would that old star Wars card game? Like they stopped printing cards for that forever ago. And people were still like still making up new rules and doing fan sets and rules updates like a decade after the fact, there were some committed players to that. So, you know, magic's at this point, not going to go away until our grandkids are dead. Um, so no, not too worried about having too much. Although I know Seg, and I know that having more than three magic cards in his house is probably too much uh, risk for him as far as this is concerned. So, you know, keep that in mind when you're considering the source of the question. Shots fired. Uh, now that we've listened to both of these living artifacts, I think there's a couple things I want to shed light on. Uh, basically, there's a lot of sacrifices that people have to uh, give up when they're playing magic. And I think it's very hard for uh, once magic dies to raise it from the dead. Um, however, uh, like I think casual is the way to go, which is why I've seen sales go up a lot lately as modern has stagnated. Uh, Legacy's doing fine. Standard's definitely been hit a lot with like five different uh, bands. Um, but it's all about to me. I'm seeing this growth of this uh, these sixty card. Uh, uh, or 75 card casual players uh, starting to approach game shops more than they used to instead of just playing at the kitchen table all the time. Instead of going to a game shop once a month, they're coming twice a month or more. Um, 
And I think that's where the money's going to be moving forward. That's why we're seeing so many EDH cards spike. And yes, buyouts are part of that, but it's a lot of casual players that, um, like we have groups of casual players come in that are bigger than our standard FNMs, where it's just like 18 to 20 people. They just take up a bunch of tables and they play casual magic on the tables. Those people exist and it, they they invisibly move the market. So as far as casual stuff goes, like I don't think magic will die from that. Uh, I have a very negative view of magic in the long term. I think in five years, like most stuff will be online because wizards will just make more money off of it. And there's a lot of things that they do on paper that financially don't make sense right now. Um, I, the proliferation of all these secondary products, uh, the fact that we have like eight to 10 different products this year versus we used to have five to six is insane. And I'm seeing players struggle to keep buying all these products because wizards is making it like quote unquote too good to buy all these products. Like you get hit with Modern Masters 2017 and Iconic Masters in the same year. You get hit with Commander Anthologies and Commander 2017 in the same year. Uh, it's just way too many products right now. And I don't think it's healthy for the game. Uh, obviously, there's like counterpoints to this, but it's just my opinion that casual magic will always be there. But competitive magic is getting weaker and weaker, especially when you have stuff like Hearthstone, League of Legends, Dota, like all that stuff. It's super cheap to play comparatively. And, you know, when standard decks were a thousand dollars during cons block, that was obscene. Like, yeah, I was making a ton of money off of it, but players will only put up with that for so long. And as a result, we're seeing them shift to more bang for your buck formats like EDH, Modern, and Legacy. So I think when standard starts crumbling and Watsy keeps doing more of these gimmicks like masterpieces to sell as much product as possible, it it overall hurts the Magic's economy. Those are just my thoughts on it, though, if anyone wants to add on to that. I think I definitely agree. Like it's it's hard to say like the game will last forever, mainly because it's I I think the idea like the idea of just the like trading card game again, like this is very outdated. Like there are just so many things nowadays that just captivate people much more. Like if you watch like, you know, anyone who watches Twitch, like if you compare a like a Grand Prix, right, that just pales in comparison to people who actually want to watch a Grand Prix versus the number of people that watch like like there was a DreamHack finals yesterday that had over 200k views, uh, both the European and North American uh, summer splits for League of Legends to decide like who would qualify for Worlds. They were both yesterday, and uh, I think like the North American pulled like almost half a million viewers between all their streams. And it really just goes to show like that's kind of the entertainment that people want nowadays. And if we're talking like people who don't even play the game actively, but like are willing to just sit there and watch a stream of professional players play. Like, what does that say about magic, right? Like, it's it's just one of those things where, like, it's definitely, I, I just think it's outdated. Like, again, like Travis said, like, I don't think it'll die. Like, if you, like, the Star Wars to Cypher game, there's still a huge falling for it. I believe, like, there's actually, like, they actually still hold the World Championships, again, despite the fact that there's been no new cards printed in 2017. I want to say, like, almost, like, 18 years at this point. I think it died, like, right before 2000 or something. Uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but like, like the game will like, like never die overnight. I think like when you guys touched on that, it's just, if, if they were never to print a magic card after tomorrow, like it'll probably still kind of have the same like Star Wars Decipher effect. People will continue to play. There'll always be like wonky old formats that people will continue to enjoy. Like EDH is probably one that's just like far outlast everything because like we have a finite number of cards in existence. We kind of know what the format looks like. Assuming like there's still a ban list that kind of changes over time. People will probably still continue to play EDH, even if like their cards aren't necessarily worth anything. And if anything, they'll probably encourage more people to play EDH if their cards just like become more accessible because like constraints, like, like the reserve list, like those are no longer issues. Like some cards may be in short supply than others, but if the, if as a whole, the game becomes devalued, they'll probably just keep people captivated for a while because people now have the opportunity to play like legacy, even though that they wouldn't have otherwise before, mainly because cards have just in theory become devalued so much. I think it's worth considering too, that all of these stores have a vested interest in keeping magic alive. You know, they have a lot of money tied up in this product and uh, they're going to want to kind of keep a market for that as long as they can. So even if wizards pulled the plug on it tomorrow, uh, stores are going to do everything in their best interest to at least keep magic kicking long enough to kind of liquidate their inventory, which gives you 
um, some room locally to work as well. I, I think the point is that uh, it's not a game that's going to end overnight. I got something to rant on, though. There's so many neckbeards out there that think they can run a shop that have zero business plan, and they go into it, and they open some half-assed shop, and then it goes under, like, two years later. Like, the problem with uh, owning a shop, like, when people keep trying to open all these shops is they see, like, oh, my God, look at the returns I'm getting on these singles and offering buy lists and blah, 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 blah. But... I think one of the other reasons why magic is dying is you have all these shops that have like bad atmospheres or just like bad prices or something that they're doing wrong. And this, you know, the teenagers now kids these days walk into uh, walk into a shop and they see this old fat guy sitting behind a counter and it's like a disgusting shop and people are being saying mean words or whatever is going on and they don't want that environment. So they just go to online games instead it feels like the generation that now has money was like the last generation to fully support game shops. Cause like, I don't know about Ed, but I've gone to a lot of places and seen a lot of shops and I've been on average, they're very subpar to what like they should be. And yeah, the margins aren't great in this industry, but it feels like most magic shops in my opinion are completely unprofessional in how they do business. Uh, not like Kerwan's obviously or anything like that, but it just seems like everyone thinks that they can be a shop and they don't understand like how to do it correctly. And I think this paints magic in a negative light in card games in general for the newer generation. Like obviously there's no room in shops for people to Snapchat their fidget spinners, which I understand, but like it just seems like there's a disconnect between the generations. I think the crappy chart, the crappy shops is definitely a big part of it i think like just in the past few years we've seen so many shops just like people just like oh i have a lot of magic cards like oh my cards have gone up in value i should open up a shop and do this full time when realistically like you the the shops that are run well are the people who are like business minded rather than like the hobby enthusiasts and i think that's like kind of the trap that a lot of, a lot of shops fall into uh, like if you just like if you just follow like the MTG Finance subreddit, I don't know why I read it as often as I do, but like I, I swear to God, like every week it feels like how like do I have enough to open a shop? And the, we're talking about people who like I remember one where the guy said he had like I don't know something like 10k worth in cards and like maybe like 5k in capital. I was like, uh, like I don't even know how to respond to that. Like five five k. And capital gets you like what first first month of rent and like a few no, tables. It, it doesn't get you tables. It doesn't get you boxes. It doesn't get you um, displays. It doesn't get you that down payment on your lease. Right. Yeah. Every yeah, point I, you it, get, all the points you, you guys are making here now are valid, but I'm pretty sure there are points that have made like every third week we record that it's cost a ton of money to open a store. <laughs> but Travis, I have twenty thousand dollars in inventory. Can you help me? Can you tell me what to set my prices at? Like what I should be selling sleeves for, uh, what I should charge for FNM. And can you also draw out my business plan? And can you also give me money? Yes, I'll do all of those. So uh, next, do you have any other questions, Jeremy? Are there any other viewer questions? Oh yeah, you we do. I'm just, I, you're, on the, you're on record now of uh, having a blank check for me. And uh, oh boy, are we gonna recreate Lodestone or Haru? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into the viewer question winner of the week. This week's question is from Yup Yuppers, which is a very interesting name, but uh, you're going to win the credit this week if you want to message us on Facebook or Twitter. Yup Yuppers says, with the new Fatal Push promo just released, what would be the best time frame to buy it at? Also, what would be the best time to sell? I have my playset, so I don't exactly need the card. Humble brag but would like to upgrade at a time when it is cheapest. Any advice on this new promo? What's our uh, position on making fun of viewers, listeners? Are we, are we allowing I'm, that? Are I'm we not all allowing for it? it? I'm all brainstorm brewery does it. We can do it. All right. Humble bragging that you own a place out of uncommon that are legal and standard <laughs> is, is, is an ironic humble brag. It's like anti humble brag. <laughs> I'd say you'd re you're really pushing your luck here, yup yuppers. Uh, so supply on these is probably at their peak at what, like the fourth week or something like that, right? Somewhere around there. So 
yep. buy, buy it then yep. and sell it uh, when the price is high and it feels like they're going to reprint it, which is probably you know, two years later, I guess, most likely. Although it depends on how real they think Fatal Push is. If they kind of expect Fatal Push to be their, like, um, their preeminent black removal in modern for a couple of years, you might actually see it show up several times more in other products because they know that they're going to need to get copies in the player's hands in the same way that they print Path to Exile. Every single other set, it feels like. Um, so just keep in mind that that's a possibility. Ed? Uh, I really don't have anything else to add. I mean... Like, it, like, just wait until the end of the month. That's kind of when, like, everyone has their product. Hopefully, like, the stores that, like, are stealing the product and not giving it out to players, hopefully they'll have kind of cashed in at that point. If you just wait, there will just be, like, such a huge influx of them. A lot of people, especially when they get to a point where it's like, oh, I have more than my set. I don't need this fifth one or whatever. Like, people will probably start slowly cashing them in. As for the set promo, I assume that's what you meant by you're looking to upgrade uh, them. It's kind of a strange. The FNM promo. What's up? He wants the FNM promo. Oh, he wants the FNM promo. Okay. Uh, okay. That that is all I have to say. Then just wait until the end of the month. Uh, max supplies, like in the market, and then you should be able to get them for probably not too much more than like a normal one. Probably like between twelve and fifteen dollars, I imagine. I will point out that even though I think there there's a good chance they're going to end up printing Fatal Push a lot because it's um, they kind of know that it's going to be a real piece of removal and they're going to want to make sure copies are in players' hands. It is possible that the that the F and M promo will be like the only art, the only one in that art. It'll be kind of unique in the same way that we see with like the Path F and M promos. Uh, now that was Rebecca Gway art, which is always carries a premium. It was very cool looking, very distinct. But in any case, even if they do print Fatal Push in every event deck and whatever product they're printing these days, um, the F and M could still hold a pretty good price tag. Great, uh, great point to add there, Travis. All right, next question. We got this a lot over the weekend. What do you value your time at when it comes to MTG Finance? No one wants to answer this. I guess they don't value the time in responding to this question. Uh, what do I value my time at? I guess I don't really put a direct number on it most of the time. Um I guess it depends on what activity you're talking about, like sitting around and uh, oh, come on. Sorry. Sitting around and looking at card prices and poking around online and that type of thing is something that I sort of just do whether I mean to or not. So like it's almost that time is not has no value for me because if I wasn't writing articles, if I wasn't selling cards on TCG player, it would still be hard for me to get away from doing that, um, from looking up card prices and thinking about them and going, Oh, you should, uh, you know, I should, someone should buy this and sell them, blah, blah, blah. How much do I value it when I'm like sitting in front of my computer and packaging cards, which is miserable, maybe slightly less than I should. Um, it's hard to say for sure. You know, I was thinking about that last night. It took me an hour to do like, uh, 30 orders, maybe package 30 orders. And I mean, if I thought about how much I made for that hourly, it's definitely a pretty good number, but it still sucks to do it. So I don't know. It's how much you're willing, you, 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 you should figure out how much you are generally making per hour when you're doing it and then decide whether that's worth it to you. Uh, because even though it is miserable to sit there and um, package those cards for an hour and I get cranky about it, uh, it is still definitely worth my time to be doing it. Put it that way. But then again, you know, all the work that goes into that, you know, Jeremy and Ed and I have a lot of experience and knowledge and we can process information and make good decisions way faster than a lot of other people do because we don't have to do as much research or thinking or not I have or do as much to get there we're already at that point if you're not there it's going to take you a lot longer to kind of build that up and uh, be able to make those decisions as quickly and as easily as we do um, and have that good judgment so it depends that you know do you value that how do you value that i don't think you you really can 
Um, it's just it's a question of like, I don't know. I guess you'd have to compare like your total magic profits versus how many hours a week you spend thinking about magic and decide if that's worth it. I don't really know how to, I can't answer that question for you. That's really a personal call. And uh, <laughs> I value my time pretty highly. Uh, this, despite what people think, I actually do value my time. He's very cheap. Uh, I'm extremely cheap as well. Um, so I, I think the biggest part that I think a lot of people fail to realize is that you have to value your time in such a way because you only have so many, you only have so much time you can allot to tasks. And I would prefer to spend a lot of time thinking about how to make things as efficient as possible to save myself time, time down the road. Whereas I think a lot of people kind of fall in a trap of they're doing something inefficient, realizing they're doing something efficient and not making something, uh, trying to find a better process. So for people who are actually watching this, I'm going to give people a tour of our down, downstairs uh, sh shipping and online department. So this is exciting. We get a field trip. Uh, and Ed Station. lost connection. <laughs> as soon as Ed walked away, he lost connection. So much for the field trip. He did. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, so like this, like we have label printers for everything. Like these are label printers for bubble mailers, uh, stamps, and regular plain white envelopes. It just saves so much time as opposed to writing things by hand. Why people would ever write things by hand is just completely beyond me. Um, we have done similar. We have done something similar to what TC Player does, and it's a huge pain in the ass to do so. But if you look at uh, uh, the most recent sets, they're actually Optica's first card near mint. Near mint in our. So anyway, talking about how much your time is worth, as Ed uh, Ed walks away from whatever internet he had left. We're sorry about that. Uh, as we said, Ed is cheap, and he refuses to do anything more than the uh, bare bones when it comes to uh, anything. Um, I value my time medium because my I guess my time isn't really worth anything yet. Uh, when I'm done with school, hopefully it will be. Um, but I'm, I think if you're like some high school or college kid and you're like trying to grind bulk and you're making like $5 an hour, which is what it seems like most people make picking bulk and doing all this stuff. If you're not good at it, like Doug, then you shouldn't be doing this. I think if you're like a father and you just have a bunch of old bulk in the closet, then yeah, finance is probably more useful for you. But it seems like in like sort of going back to this topic, it seems like there's a lot more binder grinders out there now than there used to be. And like, sure, they're, competing against us i guess but i don't know how you make a living doing that binder grinding that is uh, it always seems like it comes with a catch for the people that are working at grand prix unless they are actually a shop and i'm not talking about the people that say they're a shop at grand prix to try and shark you I'm talking about the people that are actually shops um but i value my time pretty well when it comes to like i know ed and i sort of have the same philosophy like if we're going to talk about magic and like you want me to come talk to you about why your shop sucks, like I will charge you a lot for that. But like if it's like, hey, let's just go grab drinks after we've already all made money for the day, it's not as expensive. But if maybe you want me to, yeah, go ahead. Maybe the other way to think about it, and not not just I mean you, but all of us is don't think it. Maybe it's it's not what is my time worth, but like what would I be doing with this time otherwise? Um, so like picking bulk. Uh, I have like 10 K unpicked bulk that I could look at and I just cannot bring myself to do it. Um, because it's just not, I, I could be doing other things with that time since that's like when I'm home after work and that's like my most valuable time. Um, but stuff like looking up card prices and kind of poking around EDH stacks and seeing what's hot and new, I can do that while I'm sitting around at work on my computer. So like, it doesn't cost me anything really to do that because I'm, I can't pick bulk at that point in time. So that's probably another way to think about it, is what else could you be doing in that moment? And there's more to life than magic. Like regardless of how many people are obsessed with this game to an unhealthy point, like there's more than life than magic guys. Like you can do other stuff besides pick bulk all day. Uh, even though I've got literally a hundred thousand cards behind me.
Uh, don't pick pork all day. That message Do is for Doug. <laughs> now, Doug, Doug has like half a million right now. I just um, meant to do something other than pick bulk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't see how you can get a good job out of magic finance in the long term. Like, you probably do it for a year, you fail, and then you go back to your parents' basement and try to get a real big boy job. It seems like what a lot of people I know are doing. They, like, have this big ambition in their eyes, and then they fail because they don't have business sense, they don't have a plan, or they just don't understand how little money they're going to make or how costs add up. Because uh, I've like dealt with a lot of quote unquote like binder grinders and like people that try to do their own stuff and they come out of the shop and they like bring ogre boxes like they're at a Grand Prix when they're driving through. And it's just like, I don't understand how you can actually make money doing this. I mean, sure, there's a couple people that do, but I, I don't get it. So yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I suppose for a lot of people, you know, it's sort of like they want, it's fun and they want to be doing this. And yeah, I guess I kind of think of it, I can. I wouldn't make this decision and I don't, but I can kind of see the appeal for some people who might treat it in the same way that somebody might treat Twitch streaming, but they're not super popular. So somebody who's managing like 35 or 40 K a year streaming on Twitch. Now that's less than, uh, you know, a reasonable job will get you in, in most parts of the country. I mean, in New York city, that's garbage. But if you're in the Midwest, like 35 years is okay. ish. Yeehaw, I did to humble up my tractor with that sort of dough. Yeah. So, the, but I mean, you're, you're not going to have a, a, a luxurious life at 35 K, but you can pay your bills. Most likely there are people who make that doing Twitch. Uh, I would never want to be a Twitch streamer making 35 a year, 35 K like to me, uh, I would rather be doing something more productive with my time. I feel like I'm just kind of a waste. Like you're sustaining yourself and you're probably having fun for a couple months maybe. But after a while, that would really um, get to me. Like that's not a life that I want to live. Some people would be more than happy to be able to pay their bills and live, you know, comfortably, not, not, not extravagantly, but comfortably and play video games all day. Like they would love that idea. There will people who will start streaming Twitch when they're 18 years old and will die doing it when they're 55. And I say they'll die at 55 because it will be the unhealthiest people on the planet. My point being is that it's kind of also a question of like, how do you, what do you want the, your life to look like for some people like getting to sort through magic cards and think about magic and do that type of thing all day is they would do that for almost free. So the fact that they can make eke out a living with it is fine by them. They're going to ride that train as long as they can. That's not something I want out of it. So that's another one of those like personal aspects. Like you have to ask yourself what you want out of it. Maybe the value of getting to spend your time dicking around with magic cards all day is worth a lot to you where it's not worth a lot to Jeremy or Ed or I. How do you have a meaningful relationship with someone that doesn't play magic? If all you do is look at magic cards all day. Like, I'm sure how, they don't. <laughs> how do you, how do you think that works on like Tinder or like a social event where it's like I need a suit. Oh wait, I need to sell cards to buy a suit. Oh wait, I haven't interacted with anyone for like a year. It seems like most magic people I know like they either met their wife in high school or they just like don't have a relationship at all. So we're not calling you losers. I just personally think you need to do better things with your time. Trying very hard not to call you a loser. <laughs> If the closest you can get to a meaningful relationship is looking wistfully at a, a, a cocktail waitress on an airplane as you fly across the world, I think you need better priorities. Okay, that wasn't subtle, <laughs> I think. <laughs> that was real fair. <laughs> Oddly enough, I think like a lot of like the more successful stores are actually like the people who actually are the most normal, as as Oz it sounds. I think the like a lot of the most unsuccessful stores are people who literally just toil over magic like their entire time. Well, like, that, that goes back to your other comment that it's the, the successful magic stores aren't the ones opened by players who love magic. They're started by people who have business acumen and want to run a business and they see an opportunity. If I don't see a business plan when you tell me you're a shop, you're not a shop. I don't care what Hasbro says after you took a picture of 32 tables in your mom's basement. Like you're not a shop until you uh, you actually are doing it correctly, in my opinion. But I'm also very critical on a lot of things in Magic, to be fair. Like, of course, I'm probably a hypocrite, but I, I really have a huge distaste for how most people run their shops and or grind in this industry. No. I don't disagree with you on this, but I am kind of curious when you got into this, did you have a written business plan? It feels like yeah. you kind of fell backwards into this too. Sure. So when I 
I got lucky a bunch of times, which I've talked about on the cast before. And then the, <laughs> I'm just talking in magic, Travis. This is a, this is not an after hours where you get to flame me for that. This is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com. Um, like when I approach multiple shops uh, to work with them, I had a business plan ready. I had a contract ready for each of them with terms that obviously we went back and forth on for some of the places. And then like, I knew exactly how much I needed to make per day to keep this going where it was worth my time versus like someone who gets lucky at a collection. And then they just like, don't real they don't know how to manage capital, which like inventory and cash flow are the two biggest things that I still see major vendors struggle with. Like they have money one week, they don't have money the next week. And well, I that makes, like to think I'm better than that. That makes sense, but like you clearly went into that it's you went into that that point of your your process with a with a clear head, but like like when you rented that U haul the drive bulk. Or the, that, the yeah, rig. we had a business plan and the business plan did not include the truck breaking down. Sure. But I mean, I guess like when you started slinging cardboard, you probably did not have a business plan and none of us did. So, at, you know, at what point did you transition? Did you kind of realize that that was something you need to be thinking about? Because I mean, uh, I don't have a business plan. Like, I mean, I don't run a business per se, although TCG player would disagree. Well, before I approached any shop, I had a business plan ready when I was ready to make that next step for any okay. of the places that I work with. I so said, we, you know what, we're going into something where I actually need to be professional, where I need to dress a certain way and act a certain way uh, for the benefit of these shops. And I need to have a plan ready so that I don't just walk in in like a black t-shirt and cargo shorts, you know, with like Dorito dust still on my hands and say, hey, I'm ready to sell cards for you as I pull out my My Little Pony sleeve cards or something like that. And obviously that's a stereotype, but it's true in a lot of cases. I'm sorry. Are you telling me that your attire is your after? That's the after I decided to look professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when I showed up to, to uh, make this proposition to a shop, the second one had never, like we'd yeah, never talked. Stilettos and, uh, <laughs> and fishnet stockings. Yeah. The second one that I worked with, like we had never talked before. I drove down there and I'm like, hey, I want to do this. I showed up in a suit. I had multiple copies of the business plan ready. I had multiple copies of the contract ready and I gave them exactly a week to figure out whether or not they wanted to do business. And I said, here's the numbers from the first place I work with. Uh, this is what we're looking at. This is how much you'll make. How much are you making now? Um, I want to see your sales going back as far as like you're capable of being able to handle uh, paying employees on time. You're capable of being able to not have a ton of debt if I'm working with you because I don't want like one day to just not have that anymore. Um, I want to see that you have loyal customer base. That's another big thing, especially with uh, one of the shops I work with as far as they've been open forever. So we get the same people that have been coming since they were kids. Um, I don't really like talking too much about my operation on, on, uh, on the, uh, podcast but i wanted both sides to be professional and i presented myself in that way as well that, that's fine i was just curious kind of where you decided to turn the corner from like guy who slings cards in his house to like has a business plan because like i said I, you know i'm still just slinging cards out of my house and the irs thinks i'm a small business but i don't really think of myself that way and i don't have anything formal but i'm also working alone i think it's more of like when the like an opportunity presents itself uh, unfortunately, the opportunity presenting itself is not, hey, there's a building down the road that I can get rent for cheap. I think it's more along the lines of what Jeremy is thinking, where it's just like, oh, there are like these, there are these stores, like, like Jeremy is probably like kind of into smaller subset of people where he's like basically providing inventory for his store. But it's it's more along the lines of this is the market opportunity that presents itself. This is something for you to jump on. It makes sense for me to get in here and now, like, i.e. Like one, like the major store in town just closed down. They need someone to fill the gap. I have reasonable amount of inventory. I have the capital. I have the means to actually start up a store and take over the customer base. That's a reasonable market opportunity to jump on again, as opposed to the store closed down. I can find like I can find rent for cheap. I have a small amount of working capital. Let's jump in and and deal with it from there. But like that's not that that's how you close up shop in like six months. No, it's, hey, there's 25 shops in St. Louis. I think I'm going to open another one out of my house. That's Whoa. like screaming internally as you beat your head on your on your desk. 
What's your looking guys at record? you, everybody who's approached me in St. Louis trying to open a shop? What's your guys' record for uh, shortest period of time a store was open that you've seen? Three weeks. They yeah. put down the down payment and then they realized after buying everything, they had no more money to do anything with. Like they bought the shelves, they bought the cases, and then it came to their first um, like time to buy boosters. And they're like, oh, we're out of money. And then the, the next day they're like, we need to sell all of these display cases as we're going out of business. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah, we had one here that I think was under a month. It's ridiculous. Yeah, back in Portland. Yeah, I'm sorry. Back in Portland where uh, I used to live, I think there was like there was a place that basically opened up. They had like super everything was super nice. It was like in a law office or something. There was just like a lot of small segmented rooms. Like they put a lot of money into it. They had like custom made tables, custom made chairs, like very, very high end display cases. They realized that they had spent so much money, like they literally couldn't afford to buy collections, buy singles, basically buy their product. They were like done in like four weeks or something. I don't think people realize. Oh God, I don't want to get back on this topic. Okay, moving along. What's our uh, next one? So Hascon, you guys are not going to Hascon, right? Or I might be. In on Friday. I might be last minute. I'm oh, not you sure changed mine. Uh, a customer offered me a ticket for the VIP because someone, I think it's like his partner won't be able to make it, and he's like, "I can transfer your name," and I'm like, "Do I want to pay five hundred dollars?" like each way to go to Hascon for the VIP experience. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i trying to decide if I'm going to go or not, and it just depends on flights right now. And they've gone up $200 since I started looking, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, so at the moment, I'm not, but I can cut this pretty close. So I would leave like Thursday night. And if they, don't, if they still aren't cheaper by Thursday, I will bring my stuff to travel to work on Thursday. And if I need to go straight from work to the airport, like I'll buy the ticket Thursday afternoon and then leave Thursday night. So I think I'm it's going to sure. suck if you're just a magic player. I don't think it's going to be a ton of fun, but like if I go, I'm going to network. I'm not really going for the drafts as much, which I think most people are doing. Yeah. I would only be there for like 48 hours. Maybe it would be like, show up, do the drafts, take some photos, have a, have fun looking at iconic masters and then go back home. I, I agree. Think it, it's not a GP like where you just hang out the whole weekend. Yeah. I think if I'm going to be there, I'm going to drive. Uh, probably like the two hours or eh, like two and a half hours from where I am in Catskill over and then drive back in the evening after it's done. That's the drive. Too well, bad. down here in the great state of Missouri, it would take 22 or something hours of straight driving to get there. So definitely flying. And we have no airports. We have one airport that's serviced by one airline that goes to one of two cities in America. So it's not great. Definitely subpar. Travis, you could always try flying to Boston and then taking the train down. I made that mistake the first time I ever went to Providence. I flew from Portland to Detroit on a red eye and then Detroit to Boston, and then I took the train down from Boston to Providence. That trip what sounds like it was off the rails. So you flew into Boston and then trained down into Providence? Yep. Technically, you took a very expensive Uber from the airport because Uber – uh, Boston, Boston charges Uber drivers a parking fee at the airport to be picked up, which is transferred to you, the customer. And then I took that to the train station. Then I took the train down. What how, much it, how much is a train? I think the train was actually cheaper than Uber. Well, I mean, I've got 500 round trip right now. And it was 300 like a week ago, but I didn't pick it up. Must uh, be nice. So. 500 bucks round trip. I don't know. I guess it's still, I still don't really consider that very good, but then again, I don't live in a crap hole like Missouri. So who knows what it's like to live there. I don't think anyone does live there. People exist there. People don't live there. Ouch. It's harsh. Um, apparently near mint alpha and beta collections live here. Cause this is the second one I've snagged this year. So that was, that was a great grand prix. Those are some ridiculous, uh, Ridiculous collections you find on your doorstep. I don't think I've, I've, I know a lot of the uh, vendors here in Buffalo and I, you know, I don't know what's happened too much lately, but I can tell you that for years, nothing like that was popping up for sale. And we have a, I don't know if we're bigger than Missouri, St. Louis area, but we're not small. 35th largest city in the country or something. Yeah. I mean, 
a lot of the players have been playing here for 20, 25 years because uh, it's an extremely liberal town with a huge gaming background. There's been like shops open forever. And a lot of these people went to Gen Con when Magic first came out, bought those intro decks for Alpha and Beta and threw them in a closet for 20 years. And they're starting to come out of the woodworks where it's like, oh, you got how much money? Like, wow, I better go find all the cards in my basement. Stuff like that. All right. What are these TCG errors you're referring to? So, yeah, great question. So TCG has been slowing down a lot lately. I'm sure Ed can expand on this more. Uh, you're getting a lot of error messages when you're trying to search for cards. Uh, the service is lagging behind considerably. A lot of people think it's because of their uh, competitor to Crystal Commerce as far as, I guess, it's scraping the website too much or they're just like, they don't have their stuff together. But it was a huge problem for a lot of people over the weekend trying to price cards where like it makes you sign into your TCG account twice or like three times to even get onto your seller platform. Um, the inventory, the software wasn't working correctly for some people. And a lot of people are mad about it because they want free money in their pocket or stuff like that. I will I mean, say compared to crystal commerce, it's a saint. I will say it is definitely, I mean, I don't know if it's slower now than it was, but in general, I find the service to be way too slow and it's very annoying. I uh, frequently lament them not. I live and I live like two hours down the road. Then their data center must be somewhere else. That how slow it is. But I don't. I mean, I guess it's slower now than it was. But it, it's never felt quick to me. I mean, compare it to like uh, MagicCards.info is sort of my go-to reference, and that loads like instantly every time. I mean, they're not doing as much, right? But it's still very quick. Ed. Yeah, God, don't even get me started. There's just been no shortage of issues with Crystal Commerce. Apparently, our website is down. I tried ordering things from the website on multiple different computers. Can't order. Crystal Commerce guy is like, oh, it should work on a different web browser. Tried like four different web browsers. Nothing works. Just an average day. Just I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I just Another like so day in paradise. Yeah. Yeah, trying trying to deal with Crystal Commerce customer service is just like one of the worst experiences ever. So that moment when you're a binder grinder and you can't list cards to sell to keep paying your rent barely on time, it's a rough life, man. Yeah. Sounds rough. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to get in a pick of the week? Nope. <laughs> nope. All right, let's go first with Ed because he's never ready. Ed, what's your pick of the week? Uh, the Scarab God. The Scarab God saw a ton of play this weekend. It was like in like the blue black control deck that won Turin. A lot of team or energy decks uh, were just splashing black because it's super free with a tune with Aether, uh, Aether Hub. The decks, the variants still playing uh, Server of the Conduit. Super free. For a while, people were playing Nicol Bolas in that, and now it's just like play Scarab God. It's a super resilient threat. It comes out on turn five. It makes all your threats like once it just gives you like inevitability in a long game. So the Scarab God, I think, is a pretty good pickup uh, in DC. I think people were paying like twelve to thirteen, and they literally just couldn't get the card in because everyone needed that card. Uh, as a lot of casual appeal, uh, and like it's definitely like we talked about when the when our devastation first came out about how the gods were kind of like the premier EDH cards for the set. Uh, they're like very big, very splashy, very cool. Um, the invocation is a little bit like too much for my taste. I would recommend the invocation, but I think like at, here we like, go eight, again. Ed recommending another invocation that will immediately get bought out. But eighty five dollars, it's probably a little bit too much for people to buy, mainly because it is a one of. Whereas you know some of the like the spicier uh, invocations or inventions, they saw a lot more play. Here, like I think most of the decks were playing one, maybe two at most. So I think just picking up the Mythic is real reasonable place to be. If you're holding it, if it does see some, like we do see some sort of like control shell or something going forward to the new set, like the Scarab God is probably going to be kind of one of the premier finishers. So I would probably pick up at least a playset just to play with. If you kind of want to go deep on that, I don't think it's a bad place to be. I could easily see it being like a, a $25 card. Yeah, I actually noticed uh, the Scarab God earlier today when I was poking around the standard results and saw that as being one of the only mythics. It was like that and Torrential Gearhulk were like it for this control shell. And I think it was running more Scarab Gods. It was interesting. So I, I agree that I could see that bump up to 25 for sure. Um, this week, I think I'm going to go with Valakit, the Molten Pinnacle promos. Uh, they are around 11-ish dollars right now. The art is way better than the pack foil. Um, 
they were only release promos, so people weren't cracking them after the fact. The only supply that exists is what was available at launch. So, you know, that's pretty healthy, but, you know, Zendikar was, I don't know, eight years, seven years ago now. Um, there's not a really deep inventory, and even if you see Valakit get reprinted in Masters 25 or Iconic Masters or any of those types of things, um, it's probably not going to be reprinted with that art. So it's the best art. It's a unique foil. It's nifty looking. Uh, it's 11 bucks. There's not a lot of copies. Oh, and the deck is really good on Moto right now. It is actually the top modern combo deck on MTG top eight at the moment. Uh, kind of quietly happened um, that that deck is now really popular. So there you go. Valakit. Modern, meh. Make go, meh. Foil modern stuff. Man. Can't wait for Jeremy to pick Lightning Greaves to go up a dollar fifty because he gets to sell no, Doug, at a seven dollar profit instead of us. <laughs> Doug is uh, Doug is probably going to pick that on Brainstorm Brewery tonight, so I'm not going to go with that. Um, I'm going to preempt him and tell you that Lightning Greaves are not a good pick because he could be completely right that they will double from two to four or even five. But by the time you buy them and get them to your house and ship them, you're making like a dollar fifty a copy, which is not worth your time. Wait, so who are we talking to, me, or are you talking to people that sell on TCG? I'm talking to not people who sell on TCG. Keep it always. Okay. Keep that in mind. Like, if we're talking about cards that are going, if if your cards ceiling is six or six dollars, five dollars, it's probably not worth it unless you can get them for nearly free. So just keep that in mind. Well, that arbitrage rate is nearly f free for me. Um, my pick of the week is prized amalgam in three weeks. This card is already starting to trend down. It's probably going to hit like a quarter to 50 cents and I'm going to buy a couple thousand copies and sit on them. Thousand, uh, huh? Yeah. I think this card's free money. I mean, it's being played in every format, vintage legacy, modern, and I guess standard right now. Uh, this is a card that like, I hate foils, so I won't go in on foils, but I'm going to buy every single copy that walks in the shop and I'll probably look to make a play online uh, to pick up a bunch too. Cause I think, there's so many copies of Shadow Rose out there, but this is one of those that I'm fine throwing in a long box and sitting on. And I've shifted away from speculation lately, but this is one that I really like. I'm not going to buy the internet out. I'm just going to see one seller on TCG, MKM, uh, some of the Japanese sites. I'm going to buy their entire, uh, all the ones they have listed at like the price point I want to get in on and slowly accumulate them over time until they start going back up. This isn't a memory jar thing. This is just this card's free money a couple years down the road. Somebody else talking about that on Twitter too. I don't know if it was Paul or who, but uh, you're not the only one to bring that up recently. Yeah, it's definitely something I've been targeting. I, I still like Ed's pick of Nissa Vital Force. I mean, the foils are like eight bucks now. The normals are three. This is this also just seems like free money. This isn't a pick for me, but I do think it's really good free money down the road. Is that the $5 one from Kaladesh or the five mono one from Kaladesh? Yeah, it's like three bucks now and eight bucks for a set foil. Like, I don't yeah, think it can get any cheaper. I like... 140 of those or something so i would love to see those do something <laughs> yeah we're pumping and dumping travis's uh picks here and then i really like invocation capsize they've been selling like crazy because we have such a uh capsize and forbid we can't keep in stock uh we have a huge casual demand here everyone's like oh my god 20 dollars for the foil one and they don't really care uh, your so casuals play capsize and forbid yeah in their uh 100 card scarecrow five color decks apparently so i just can't believe a cat i mean those types of cards seem like the type of thing the casual players generally don't play a lot of because they're just essentially permission and yeah. quote unquote not fun right I mean, but they're not playing it in like a zombie or anything they're playing it in their stupid tribal decks i don't care i'm just going to keep selling into it and keep up selling them on stuff like that's why i love casuals so much because you you get into the weird minds of casuals and you get their money as well not that i'm like yeah. a shameless money pig it's just like very good to like see what's moving to specific deck archetypes and players. Yeah. I mean, if they sell, they sell. I was just a little surprised. That's all. Yep. Um, so where can people find you guys now that we've uh, spent the last hour shitting on all the binder grinders, mainly me, but uh, you know, does, where, does where that, can people find y'all? Doug Khan is a binder grinder. Cause I shut on him a little bit too. Doug is a hundred percent a binder grinder now. Cause he has dropped out of prestigious university and is now a full-time magic monkey. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Travis Allen. You can find me on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. Uh, I'm here. I do the Fast Finance Podcast. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's all my qualifications. 
uh, at Edwin13 on Twitter. I'm with Kern's Game Store. You can find me maybe at Hascon this weekend. I haven't officially decided if I'm going yet. You're so, a magic monkey. You're going. Eh, maybe. Maybe. Probably picking up some of those promos. Those promos were sweet. Probably, like, I know some people wanted me to get them for them, so I'll probably be doing that. Well, that's like and, the sort of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, right? Yeah. Those are kind of cool. Yeah, they're kind of nifty. I wonder if uh, they'll have the same limitations that they have at uh, San Diego on the Planeswalkers. Because I know there's... A mustache and, like, high heels and then go back. Uh, it seems a little strange, yeah. Otherwise, I'm spending the rest of... Uh, until next week, until I actually go on a vacation here in Catskill, New York. You seem bitter. Didn't you just get back from vacation? Yeah, uh, he did. Actually going on vacation, like a real vacation with like normal people and doing normal people things like going to museums and stuff. I don't believe yeah. you. But like, didn't you just get back from Japan, which was a vacation? Uh, yes, but Japan, <laughs> Japan was like, it was like six weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. You haven't been on vacation for six weeks. Yeah. Different vacation. Hmm. I don't know how you do it. My name is Jeremy. You can find me at Missouri MTG. You can find me in the great state of Missouri. Uh, school's ramping into gear, so probably going to step away from most magic finance now that Labor Day weekend's over. Uh, get a degree, get a job, don't do magic for a job, or you'll end up like sorting cards at 3 in the morning in an alley somewhere with a stranger in a parking lot trying to get that sweet, sweet $2 in trade. So... Get a real job, you losers. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you for listening to Cartel Aristocrats number 69. We're going to see if we can get an after hours up this week with plenty of rhetoric about whatever political things that the rest of the cast feel strongly about, most likely. Uh, yeah, that's it. Follow us on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance. You can leave a question on Gathering Magic this week when it goes up tomorrow for a chance to win a $25 gift certificate. Uh, like us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. And that's enough shameless plugging for the week. You guys have a good four-day week, and we will see you all next week. Bye.